Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good morning, everyone. It is Wednesday, August the 17th, 2022. It is currently 1119 a.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central Studios located right here in Abilene, Texas. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you're having a wonderful day. For me, I'm sitting here and right next to me, I have my Bible open to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And if you have the opportunity to open a Bible, I would ask you to do that. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21, a very well-known verse. You've probably heard countless sermons on it. I'm just going to use it as kind of a, a just a kind of a devotional thought to start our day of live broadcasting. Hopefully you'll be with us throughout the day, but let's just start with kind of a devotional thought, something that I thought was very interesting, and hopefully you'll find it to be interesting as well. You ready? Here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21. For after that, in the wisdom of God, now this is very important, for after that, in the wisdom of God, the world, by wisdom, knew not God. So for after that, in, or for after that, in the wisdom, if I can read this correctly, for after that, in the wisdom of God, the world, by wisdom, knew not God. This is very important. It pleased God. By the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. So for after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. By the wisdom of the world, they cannot know God. But this is very important. But it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Now, there's a lot there to take apart in that verse. By no means is this meant to be an exegetical study of the verse, but I, there's that, that idea of the foolishness of preaching. You've heard probably countless thoughts on it. Let's do this. Let's do this. A, a part of me wants to just go back and start taking that whole passage apart. I can't do that right now, but let's just focus on the word foolishness there. Right. If you go to the Blue Letter Bible app, which I always encourage everyone to have downloaded on their devices, if you if you go to the Blue Letter Bible app and you look up the interlinear and you look up the Greek word that is translated foolishness in 1 Corinthians 1.21, we will find this Greek word. Strong's G 3472, Moria. 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 That's the, that's foolishness. It is by the moria, the moria of preaching. It's the moria of preaching that people are saved. Or you could look at it this way. It is, it is, uh, it pleased God by the moria of preaching to save them that believe. Now, just going around saying the Greek word Maria, that's, that's not, that, that's not my goal here this morning. I want you to just understand the, the definition of the word. And that's interesting. It's only used five times. All five times, it's translated foolishness in the King James. If you look up Strong's definition, it means silliness, absurdity, foolishness. So, It is by the silliness, the absurdity of preaching that some are saved. Now, if you think about it, 
If you just really think about it, just from a, a purely just humanistic perspective, preaching the entire concept of preaching and sermons and, and all of that, just from a purely human standpoint, at some point probably looks extremely foolish, ex- extremely silly, extremely absurd. And I'm going to be honest with you. There are times, even in my own life, I just kind of look at it and go, what are we really doing? What are we really accomplishing? Right? I mean, think about it. So many people. I know, I know there's less today than there was because church attendance numbers continue to drop at, at an extremely high rate. But so there may be less people, but there's still every day in the city you live, a lot of people get in a car, drive to a building on Sunday. Well, I can't say every day. Every Sunday, they'll get in a car, drive to a building, walk in, sit either in a pew, stadium seating, chairs, whatever the 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 way it's set up in their particular church, and sit there and someone will stand on a platform, maybe behind a a podium, maybe there won't be a podium, maybe there'll be a pulpit, whatever the case may be, and they will begin to talk, and they will present a sermon. Maybe it's a church where it's only 15 or 20 minutes long. Maybe it's a church where it's 30 minutes long. Maybe it's a church where it's an hour long. Whatever the case, whatever the case may be, millions of people attend churches and they hear sermons. Someone stands there and preach. They preach and guess what? In some ways, it's silly. In some ways, it's absurd because so much of what is said is forgotten by lunchtime. So much of what is said is not remembered. If if they even have an evening service, when the people come back for the evening service, if you were to ask them questions about the sermon that was preached Sunday morning, many of them have already forgotten, and now they're sitting there getting ready to hear another sermon. It all seems so absurd. It seems so silly. It seems so foolish. But for some reason, that's the way it's designed. It pleased God. I want you to look at that. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them. He takes this kind of what appears to be a foolish, absurd, silly act and somehow in it, well, salvation, something happens. Now, the problem is, yes, something can happen, but most of the time, nothing happens. Now, because nothing happens, a majority of the time, at least from a human perspective, I, I think even by any, by any tangible measurement, most of the time, it's foolishness and silliness and just the sense it's absurd because most of the time, not much is occurring. So God takes this thing called preaching, which even it's described here as foolishness, as silliness, as absurdity. He takes this where the majority of the time people forget it. They don't remember. They, they, they just, they hear the sermon. It's like, okay, oh, check that box. Sermon preached. Woohoo. I listened to a sermon today. But again, every statistic, they, they, there's been so many studies on this. People do not retain what was preached. They hear a sermon on a Sunday. By the next Sunday, they've almost forgotten probably well over 60 to 70% of what was preached. 
Sometimes they can't even remember what the sermon was over. And, and that's even when you're going verse by verse through a book and you're like, we've been in the book for 15 years. I don't remember. Okay. It's, it's insane sometimes. So there's a, so from a human perspective, you're like, well, wait a minute. There's all of this preaching and all of the statistics say it doesn't really matter. Most people don't remember it. Most people aren't impacted by it. So, so what do we, what, what do we do? And this leads to a lot of people going, Oh no, we got to change it. We got to come up with some, we need movie clips. We need a drama. We need an acting team. We need a dance team. We need PowerPoint slides. We need, we, we, we need to get rid of the pulpit. We need, we need, we need to wear, you know, different kinds of clothing. We, we, we need, we need stage lighting. We, we need, we need sun. And so everyone, is always trying to come up. What can you do to be a more effective preacher? What can you do to, to make people remember what you preached? And a lot of times it comes into every kind of manipulative manipulative technique you can come up with, right? Okay, make sure you do this and good eye contact and do this and, and good inflection and do this and, and add a little bit of humor and, and, and use personal stories and, and, and find ways to make an emotional connection with the people and try to understand the, uh, the, the, the heartfelt needs the people have and try to speak directly to that and don't go too long and don't go too, too, too deep and don't get too theological and don't get too controversial and Make sure it's positive and uplifting. And, and it's like there's 900 rules. And all of these rules are developed because there's a sense that everyone's like, what are we doing? It's foolishness. It's absurdity. It's silliness. It's, or we can say if we, if we want to walk around and act like we're really, really, really smart, we can say all, oh, everything that we're doing, it's nothing but. Strong's G3472, Moria. Maria. It's all Maria. It's all Maria. Okay. It's uh, hey, hey, kids, get in the car. We're gonna go to the, we're gonna go to church today, and we're gonna experience Maria. It's foolishness. It's silliness. It's absurd. And you'll even hear people say, "I've heard people who've gone to church." You know, I could probably just sit at home and get more uh, more from sitting in my chair than I can at church. Maria, there, there's all, and there's always criticisms about the sermon. There's always, everyone thinks that this is the way it should be, but everyone seems to be aware there's a, there's an aspect of it's silly. It's foolish. It's absurd. Someone just stands there and talks for 40 minutes. No. And now it's, it's one thing when people, because see, people have a different mindset. If they walk into a university class, well, one, they're paying a lot of money or someone's paying a lot of money. So they'll stand there and listen to that lecture and they're sitting there taking notes and they're paying attention because they know they're going to have to pass a test. But in church, it's Maria because, well, no one paid to be there. No one's going to be tested. And so there's almost like, yeah, okay, yeah, man, you've been talking a long time and you're using lots of words. How effective is any of it? What does any of it mean? What should we do? Well, everyone always has their ideas. You know, again, every, there's always so many books and so many techniques and, and you're always told so many different things. I'll give you an example, just how absurd it can be. My first Bible Institute that I ever attended, my first one, I've told this story countless times. 
Because it's just, to this day, it's just so absurd to me what was told to me. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. So this is my first Bible Institute, right? I was going to go on to go to plenty of Bible Institutes and Bible colleges and seminaries. I've, I've had all the different, all the education that I've obtained over the years. But this is the one thing that really just stood out at me. And there's lots of things that stood out um, at me with all of my education. But this one was just absurd. So it's preaching class. All right. So this is what they do. On this part, I loved. You walked in in the morning, right? We were there Saturday mornings from like about 8 a.m. to about 5 p.m. in the evening. So you would walk in and they would have a bowl, right? And in the bowl was all these folded up pieces of paper. And you reached in, you opened it up, and it would have a scriptural reference, right? Scripture reference. And you were told, okay, you've got two hours or you've got an hour. You've got whatever. I think they changed the time different times. You've got to go write a sermon. So you could go anywhere within the church, sanctuary, classrooms, anywhere. You could take a Bible. You could take a notebook. That's basically all. You weren't given any other reference tools. And you were to, you were to find a way to create a sermon based off that passage of Scripture. Now, that part I absolutely loved because I liked that challenge that, okay, here's the text. Let me sit down. How can I break this down so that I can accurately convey what's in the text and then make sure I accurately give us some lessons and accurately apply it in some specific way? I love that challenge. Love that part. So I, I'm the first, I think this was the first time I ever did it. It was in, I believe it was Acts chapter six. I was somewhere in the book of Acts and boom, I, I thought I did, I came up with a, 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 I think a good outline of the passage. I think I properly exegeted it. I think I got everything correct. I think I got everything right. It was good, right? So it was my time to preach. I think we had like 15, maybe 20 minutes uh, each student got. So I was all excited. Boom. I got up there 15, 20 minutes. That's the only hard part is having only 15 to 20 minutes because you just put me in front of a microphone and 10 hours later, I can still be talking. So I was just like, boom, boom, boom. Okay. All right, good. All right, I think I think I did okay, right? I felt I felt pretty confident about it. So I so after you're done, you step back from the pulpit and then you're now going to receive feedback. You're going to receive criticism, right? You're going to and not always the funnest thing, but okay. Yeah, all right. So sometimes people ask questions about how you handled the text, why do you, why do you think this? Sometimes there were really good questions. Well, none of the students had anything to say. All right, I'm like, "Okay, well, I don't know if that's good. I don't know if that's bad." Then the instructor spoke up. Son, you need more bass in your voice. If you're going to be an effective preacher, you got to have more bass. You got to have, it's got to sound more masculine. And I'm like, what in the world? I got to change my natural tone of voice to be an effective preacher? Nothing about how I handled the scriptures. Nothing about how I interpreted the passage, but about bass in my voice. I was, I was supposed to try to lower my voice an octave so that I could sound, I don't know, like a preacher. I can't, to me, honestly, I can't stand that preacher voice that almost to me feels like it was created in a factory and handed down to everyone. No, I'm going to speak in the voice I have. I'm going to be as natural and organic and as real to who I am. I'm not here to put on a performance, but see, that's what preaching turns into because there's this tendency to think, 
oh boy, we've got to be effective. We've got to change. I'm, I'm arguing, no, the whole thing's foolish. The whole thing's absurd. And I think the majority of the time, it doesn't have an impact. The majority of the time, it doesn't do anything. So what makes it effective? What makes it, is it all of our schemes? Is it all of our ideas? How should we market our preaching? How should we promote our preaching? Now, I'm going to give my final answer to all of this in just a minute, but this all started this morning because the first email I received today, I always try to check my email early in the morning so that I can start responding to people. I'm currently way behind in responding to people, but here we go. All right. So just so that you know, we try, we try to broadcast on every platform on earth. We do. All right. We try to make sure our podcast is on every platform from Amazon Music, Audible, uh, iHeartRadio, uh, Pandora, Spotify, Google, Apple. I mean, you name it. If there's a, if there is a platform, we try to be on it. Uh, we try to be on it. We also utilize um, our live broadcasting capabilities to broadcast on as many platforms as possible. Right now, we are live broadcasting via the Spreaker app. We're live broadcasting via the Sermons 2.0 app. We're live broadcasting via the Church One app. Even the Version Bible app. If you go to the Version Bible app, and if you find Theology Central, um, and we, we place a, an event notification on the Version Bible app that will show events taking place. And guess what? You click on it, and, well, you, you would hear us live right now. I mean, we, 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 we do everything we can to broadcast as many places as possible. But there's one place that we've tried to broadcast on, and we've not been able to make it compatible with all of the other things that we use. And that is Sermon.net. Sermon.net. Now, I would like to have an account with Sermon.net and upload all of our content. The only problem is I don't have the time to try to manage that. Um, it would just be, I need, if, if I had someone else to just say, all you got to do, I'll send you the sermon or no, you, you can just download the sermon from wherever and then upload it to sermon.net, give it the title. If someone, if, then we would probably have a sermon.net page. Um, it, it, would, it would take a lot of work, but we, we, we probably would. The only problem is we can't live broadcast from there. And here's the reason why. When I, if we, if I bring up the sermon.net studio software that would be required for us to broadcast live. As soon as we we go live, for some reason, the Sermon.net uh, software takes control over the volume of my microphone and increases it to 100. Well, it may sound okay on Sermon.net. It literally destroys the sound on all the other platforms. It is so frustrating. I don't know why it does. I'm like, no, don't touch the, don't touch my microphone. Leave it alone. Okay. I don't want you controlling the volume, but it just artificially boosts it. Now, maybe there's probably a way to fix it if I spent, you know, hours working on it. But we, we, so we had an off and on with sermon.net. Like, oh man, it's another platform. We've got to find a way to use it, but I'm only one person, but I say all of that. Because uh, because of our on and off with Sermon.net, they've always been super nice. Though their customer service is amazing. You contact them, they're they're like they're contacting you within minutes. So I do love that about them. Uh, but Sermon.net. So because of my on and off relationship with them, I get emails pretty much. You know, well I can't say uh, probably about weekly, maybe every other week, and they're offering tips and ideas and how to promote your sermons and how to be more effective with your digital media and, and all of these concepts that, well, hey, 
again, it it goes back to, we got to make this preaching effective. We got to make this preaching impactful. We got to make it useful. We've got to do something with it. And I want to say, no, it's all foolishness and silliness and absurd because I think that's the way it was designed to be. And and, and I I have a theological reason for it. Just you're going to have to wait for my ultimate answer. But here is the message that I received from Sermon.net at 8.46 a.m. this morning. It says, Sermon.net, multiply your efforts, exclamation mark. Then it has a photograph of, there's a bunch of people. It's in some kind of a church. There's a guy standing there. He's got a suit on, but with no tie. He's holding a, 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 a handheld wireless mic, and he's looking backwards. So clearly they're using some kind of big screen, some kind of PowerPoint presentation, right? So they're using, the, you know, hey, you got to have the, uh, no, the words. And, and one of the reasons so many people have gone to the the screens and the PowerPoints and the slides and all of that is because what they will say, hey, according to research, what people hear, they only retain this much. What they hear and see, they retain this much because some people are, you know, will can listen and learn by just hearing the, the words spoken, but other people are visual learners and they've got to see. So even that was the church going, okay, wait a minute, wait, we got to find a way to be more effective. But the, the biblical idea is no, God chose the foolishness of preaching, but we're like, nope, we're going to, we're going to come up with every technique to make it more effective. I, 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 well, again, I have a theological hypothesis that I will put forth here at the end. I'll, I'll give you my answer. So I, so I see that I'm like, okay, so they're going to just talk about posting your sermons online. No, they've got a new concept. Here we go. This is what, how it reads as a pastor week after week, you put a lot of time and effort into preparing your sermons. I I agree. You you do. You spend a lot of time preparing your sermons, which can be so frustrating. Because I, I don't know how long, I mean, I, sometimes it's 10 to 14 hours I put in and I, and I preach. I, I may, may, I may be somewhat, I think, I think, a, I think there's some churches still like do what I do, but I teach Sunday school. Wait, all, everyone's in the sanctuary for Sunday school. So there's an hour. Then I teach Sunday morning. There's an hour. Then I teach Sunday night. There's an hour. And then I teach Wednesday night. There's an hour. That's about 10 hours of prep usually for each. Okay. Well, then I do three to four hours of live broadcasting almost every day. Maybe not always three to four, but usually two to three every single day. And many of those, not all of those, but some of those require multiple hours of prep. So yes, it's hard work. And sometimes when you look at all of that work, you're like, if you look at the work and you look at how effective it is, it's foolishness. It's absurd. Why am I, why am I spending all of this time? And it can lead pastors to burnout, to discouragement, to depression, maybe even to suicidal thoughts. It can really become overwhelming. Like, what am I doing with my life? I talk, I talk, I talk, and nobody cares. Even, even Charles Spurgeon, when in his time would say that nobody cares about what, and I'm paraphrasing, nobody cares what is preached, if it's true or if it's false. All they care is if it's short and if they get out on time. Like, and I'm paraphrasing it. So even Spurgeon was struggling with, it doesn't matter because there, it's, 
I think argue, I think theologically, it's supposed to be silly, absurd, and foolish. And I think it will be predominantly not effective. But let's see what they go here. So, so they talk about our efforts. Now, here we go. Although the message is intended to be received as a whole, it is often the case that there are short, profound, and potent morsels of truth strewn throughout the overall sermon. What we call mic drop moments from the pulpit. Oh, mic drop moments. In sermons, see, this is almost hinting. If you, you've got to plan that mic Drop moment. Now, if you don't understand that phrase, mic drop is like when you're talking to someone and you find you say something that just like boom, it silenced them. They don't have a comeback. They don't know what to say. I mean, you just you just dropped some some information, some knowledge. You a comeback on them, and everybody's like, "Whoa, I can't believe that!" And as soon as that happened, I'm holding a pencil like it's a microphone. You just go, you just drop it. That didn't there you you just drop it. And it's like, that. I have nothing else to say. I have nothing else to say. So the, this is the idea. See, if your sermon, if you have one of those mic drop moments, boom, now you have something. Now you have something you can promote. Now you have something that you can use as advertisement for your sermons. You got to have a mic drop moment. Well, then guess what? You start spending your time trying to figure out where's that mic drop moment in my sermon. Where is it? And a lot of big ministries, they do this. They find that short, supposed profound clip from the, taken from the sermon and they post it all over Twitter, you know, TikTok, wherever. And then boom. And, and what, what's supposed to happen is people hear that one little morsel of truth, that mic drop moment. And they're like, whoa, that's awesome. Let me go listen to the whole sermon. Now, I would love to see the study that shows me that that actually leads people to the whole sermon. Call me skeptical, whatever. But I always, but, but here's what they, there's that mic drop moment. Now, what do they want us to do with this mic drop moment? These moments, often less than a minute in length, pack a powerful and a concise punch and are easy to share and be consumed as standalone clips. Sermon.net makes it easy to create multiple clips from your source live recordings. Give this video a watch. It will show you the process of creating and sharing your clips. Now, I could sit here and criticize this, right? I'm like, oh, this is ridiculous, right? I, I could criticize it. But on one hand, I don't criticize it because everyone's always thinking, what can we do to, my, okay, you know, take my whole sermon, forget my whole sermon. I'll just give everyone a one minute mic drop clip and boom, it will be effective. Boom, it will change lives. B boom, it will do this. Whatever the boom has to be because we don't, we don't ever want to think that what we're doing is foolish, silly or absurd. We want to think that what we're doing 
is edgy. It's powerful. It's convicting. It's changing lives. It's doing all. But I think, and I will argue the majority of the time, you speak words, they go in one ear, they go out the other, and no one remembers. No one even talks about your sermon. No one even cares. Every preacher wants to convince themselves that what they're saying is more profound, more powerful than it actually is. We're fools. We're silly. We're absurd. We are absurd. And what we do is foolish, is silly, and it is absurd. And the majority of the time, no one cares. The majority of the time, no one remembers. I mean, just stop for a second. Think back. How many sermons have you heard in your life? How many of them do, do you actually remember? How many can you honestly say, that sermon changed my life. That sermon had a profound impact on me. That changed everything. Honestly. Now you, you can, you can say, oh, no, no, every, no. The reality is we forget. And the, I, again, how, when you, when church is over, how long do you spend actually even talking about the sermon? Most people from the from the pew to the car, by the time they get in the car and shut the door, the first words are, what are we having for lunch? What are we going to do today? Oh, we need to hurry up. He went long. I need to hurry up because I got things to do. Man, I'm so tired. I need to get home and take a nap. Immediately, the sermon is over. Boom, we've forgotten. So then it means everything that I just did for that hour, that, that 10, 12 hours of prep, one hour of teaching for people to get in the car and go what's for lunch. Like I, I am, I, I am not foolish enough. I mean, I'm, I'm obviously I'm engaged in a foolish endeavor preaching, but I'm not foolish to believe that people are like, wow, that was really good. So what did, what did you think? Well, I thought this and well, what, what do you have in your notes? Well, I got it. This no, give me a break. People don't even care. And if it's a long drive home, they I mean, by the time they get home, they probably can't even remember. That's the reality. But I don't think it's a reality that should discourage. I don't think it's a re reality that should defeat. Now, I am now listen to me. I am not saying that we should not look to be as as effective communicators as we can be. There, there's there's we, we should care enough. Now, th this is important in your preaching, in your teaching. Preachers and teachers, Sunday school teachers, whatever. We should care enough that we do the best we can, not because we think it's going to, it's going to ultimately change anything, but because we want to glorify God in what we do. We work. Think of it this way. Everyone, no matter what job you have, you're a housewife. I don't get carpenter, bus driver. I don't care what you do. You're a, you're a doctor. You're a nurse. You're a physician's assistant. I don't care what you are. This is important. You should do everything you do, not, not trying to please men, not, not even about what it may, what, what contributions it may or may not give to humanity. You do everything you do in order to glorify God. 
So as a preacher, I should try to be the most effective communicator as I can in order to glorify God. And look, I'm very aware of many of my weaknesses, right? Well, weakness number one, I have horrible, I, I do a horrible job at making eye contact, right? Well, if you're anyone who's ever watched me preach, I, I, I probably, first of all, I move around way too much. I never stand in one place for a second. And then I don't make good eye contact. What I have a tendency to do, there's sometimes there's always that one individual that I'll, I'll like, that becomes the person I, I focus on. And now I realize, man, I've just been looking at them the whole time. So I, I try my best to, uh, to recognize my, uh, my weaknesses and get better. I have a tendency to probably preach too long. I'm aware of that. Have a tendency. Uh, some would argue that I, I, go, I mean, in other words, I, I, I can sit here and list all of my, my failings and shortcomings because I'm aware of them. But here's what I know. I can try to fix all of them. But if I'm fixing them thinking I'll be more effective and I'll change more lives and I'll do this and I'll have a greater impact. No, I need to do it just to glorify God. Nothing more, nothing less. Because here's what it comes down to. When it comes to this right here, the word of God, teaching it, proclaiming it in order to change and impact lives, teaching it so that I can equip saints so they're no longer tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine, so that I can teach it that as a newborn babe, they can grow thereby, that I can teach them the word of God. This is so important. Everything I do to teach the word of God so that it will accomplish those things is in vain. The only time my foolishness will have any impact on anyone is because of a sovereign work of God, where God takes his word that is preached and because of his spirit, it, it, he convicts someone. He, he, he changes their mind. He, he, something dramatically changes. I think everything we do, it's beyond our control, I guess is what I'm trying to say. It's just like salvation is beyond our control, right? That's, that's a sovereign work of God. I think the effectiveness of preaching is beyond my control. I can do everything humanly speaking, but it's still foolishness. It's still absurd. I'm going to read 1 Corinthians one twenty one from a different translation. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse uh, 21. For since in God's wisdom, the world did not know God through wisdom. So you can take all of our ideas, all of our techniques. No one's going to know God through all of man's wisdoms, techniques, and ideas and manipulations. God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of what is preached. Now there says the foolishness of what is preached. Now you could argue, so is it the preaching itself that's absurd? Or is it the message that we preach that is absurd? Well, maybe from a human perspective, the message we preach is absurd. I won't argue that it isn't absurd from a human perspective. I think the process of preaching is absurd from a human perspective. It's foolish. It's silly. But I think the end result is it has to be God who does something. God has to do it. I think most of the time, preaching will be absurd. Now, again, you, we could, we could have a discussion. How do you think it should be understood? Is it the, is it what we are, is it the, what is preached is foolish? Or is it the process of preaching that is foolish? You can look at that text and, and, and draw your own conclusions. That's a whole Bible study in and of itself. And there is obviously, I think there's disagreement throughout church history over exactly how to look at it. But I will argue 
from a human perspective, all of it is foolishness. The preaching and the message, all of it is absurd. All of it is silly from a human perspective. But God takes this thing called preaching. He's the one who has to do something with it. I don't know. I don't know if I, I think the, I think I, this is what I have always said. Here's the danger in preaching. Or here's, here's what I think are some inherent flaws. We preach at the expense of the text. In other words, we're more worried about a sermon, but we're more worried about the structure and having three points and, and doing all the preacher things that in some cases it actually keeps people away from the text. It distracts people from the text. Listen to our study on Mark 2.26, where I, I demonstrate all by reviewing sermons on Mark 2.26, where not one of them, not even one of them, even came close to actually dealing with the problem of the text. Didn't even bother to even come close to dealing with that text. So, so many times the way we preach, it's like, we need a sermon. And you say, well, but the sermon preached the text. Did it really? The, the sermon used the text so that you would have a sermon. I think, now I think, I think when we preach, it's not about creating a sermon. It's about, do we get people into the text? Do we get them to co confront the text face-to-face, -face, deal with all the problems, all the issues, all the hermeneutical issues, textual issues. Do we get them there? Now, some people say, well, that's too much like a school. Well, I believe the only thing I have to offer anybody is the text. So I can, I can be creative and come up with all the human concepts of a preaching, which is basically nothing more than a well-designed human speech according to human wisdom and human speech ideas that you learn in speech class. But I think, I think we've got to stop trying to produce sermons and get people to the text. That's my, that's my own thought. I, I, I think, I think that's my own thought. Um, I think that we have to do that. I think that's a problem with so much of preaching. And number two, I think the problem of preaching becomes exactly what sermon.net is maybe unintentionally promoting. And that is, hey, hey, look, look, you're going to preach for 35 minutes. You're going to preach for 40 minutes. Nobody's going to remember any of that. So you got to come up with a mic drop moment and we'll give you the software where you can find that mic drop moment, pull it out. We'll help you create a clip and then you can share it on social media. You, you want to be the mic drop preacher because it, and guess what? You're going to grab that, which is controversial. You're going to grab that, which sounds edgy. You're going to, you're going to, because that will, because all you got to do is post it on Twitter, post it on social media and create controversy and create buzz. And then your clip goes viral. And Hey, if your mic drop moment in your sermon goes viral, boom, you know, you're changing lives. You not no, no, you're not. You're re you, you're growing in popularity. You're growing in numbers. You're growing in streams. You're growing in downloads, which sometimes becomes how we measure success. How do I measure success with a theology, with a theology podcast? Do I not measure it by the number of downloads and streams? Do I not check listen notes to see where we are ranked? The last time I looked, we were in the top 10% of all podcasts globally. That puts us that we are ahead of over 2 million other podcasts. Whoa, look at me. I'm effective. Whoa, look at me. I'm No, that doesn't mean anything. That means all it is that a lot of people listen to me talk. It doesn't mean that my words have helped one person. I don't know if I've ever helped one person with anything spiritually. I talk a lot. Maybe I'm entertaining 
Maybe I'm irritating. Maybe I'm aggravating. But if anything has ever occurred to actually help someone, it's not because of anything I do. Because what I do is foolish, absurd. It is silly. God has to take this. He has to do something with it. God is the one who makes it effectual. It is his spirit who makes it effectual. It's not all of our techniques. It's not all of our marketing campaigns. Oh, you can build a following. You can build a crowd. You can build a fan base. You can end up with a mega church. And that's awesome, I guess, if you can do all of that. Because at least from a human perspective, you seem successful. Or some of us, from an earthly perspective, will look like we are failures. But I am telling you that everything you come up with doesn't change the reality, the preaching. And from a human perspective, even the message we preach is absurd, silly, and foolish. And by human wisdom, they will not come to know God. Our job is to be as faithful to the text as possible. Our job is to get people to the text. We are to, we are to just drive them, like every sermon should be a head-on collision, right? Every sermon. Here are the people. Here is the text. Boom! That, that's, that's what every sermon should be. A head-on collision with the text. And if I get the people and the text to collide... I've done my job. God has to do the rest. I don't need to preach a sermon. I need to create a head-on collision. I don't need to create a sermon. Tired of sermons. I'm tired of three points. I'm tired of all the proper structure. And you got to do it this way. You got to do it that way. And you can't go too deep. You got to preach at a seventh grade level and you can't go into this and you can't do this. I, I, I'll never forget my, my first, once I was like, okay, you're now basically like the youth pastor. And I'm like, okay, so I have the teenagers. Yes. And I can teach them whatever I want. Great. Walked in. All right, everyone grab a Bible. We begin a verse by verse study of the book of Leviticus. And the teenagers looked at me like, wait, what? Yeah, verse by verse, study of Leviticus. Wait, for the youth class? Yeah, no, we're not going to sit here and talk about don't drink, don't do drugs, don't listen to rock and roll, and don't watch bad movies. We're going to study the book of Leviticus, like in depth, like we're going all in. And they were like, this is crazy. I'm like, no, it's not crazy. This is the way it should be. My All I have to offer you is this. Now, what I'm going to do is foolish, but if I can get you to you and the text to collide, God has to do something. Because if you think about it, read Leviticus from a human perspective, foolishness, absurdity, silliness. So the message is silly. The message is absurd from a human perspective. And then the process of delivering said message is silly and absurd, even from a human perspective. But somehow in that, God does something with it. So I'm going to read this again. 1 Corinthians 121, now from the King James. For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Is it the the foolishness of preaching or the foolishness of what is 
preached. That's the translation issue. You can go, I think it can involve both. There you go. That that was supposed to be like a 15-minute little devotional. I apologize that it turned into 45 minutes. But there you have it. Lots of thoughts on preaching this morning. Now, this afternoon. I hope something there will be beneficial. But again, ultimately, what I did was foolishness and absurd. And I probably will not help anyone. But if God uses it to help anyone, then it was valuable, hopefully, to someone. Yeah, did that make sense? I think I said all of that, right? Okay. All right. We'll take a break. We'll be back shortly with more live broadcasting coming to you live from, well, here at the Theology Central Studios in Abilene, Texas. Hope you're having a great day. We'll be back shortly. You can always contact me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. Thanks for listening. God bless.